let's let's kick this off the right way with some slander. Oh boy. The first 10 games of this season will dictate the remainder of Russell Westbrook's career. Okay, if he plays poorly, I think it's over. He will never be a starter again. He's had four different chances on four different teams to adjust his play style, learn to be effective playing off the ball, improve his spot-up shooting, cut out the turnovers and early shot clock heat checks, sit down and focus on defense, not let himself get backdoored every three possessions. And he has just never been one to incorporate feedback because I think to Westbrook, you know, any suggestion that reflects negatively on him is unworthy of his recognition, right? Because it's just hate, you know, whether, whether it's coming from the fans, the media, you know, from, from, from his opponents, from his own teammates, from his coaches, it's, it's hate. I mean, come on. I, I, I had a triple double. What's not to love. If you <laughs> criticize me, if you critique me, you're just biased. Never mind the fact that I shot two for nine on jump shots and had eight turnovers. You, you just got to take the good with the bad. I think the Lakers kick off the season with Russ as their starting point guard. And then the clock starts because they cannot waste another MVP level season from LeBron just to appease Westbrook's ego. Yeah, I, I do want to respond to that. I think if you were to talk to Wizards fans, they look back upon that brief era pretty favorably. And I think the thing about Westbrook over these last few years, and potentially over the course of his prime, is that he's the sort of player, uh, when he's on a team that does not have extremely high expectations, it sort of works out historically. And he's looked good. Fan bases have been pleased. When he's on a team that has much higher expectations or championship aspirations, because I agree, he's not, in my opinion, he's not a winning player, things do not work out. I think the question for him when we consider the rest of his career is how much has he regressed even from that, his Wizards form? Um, I think from what I've seen in the preseason, to be honest, he hasn't regressed a, a whole lot from where he was at on the Wizards. I think it's just a situation. I don't, I mean, I think for him, he'd be much better off on a different team, a middling team uh, where he could put up big numbers still, in my opinion. And perhaps that will happen. Maybe he'll get traded. He'll get bought out. He'll sign something reasonable elsewhere. And he can ride out these last couple of years getting a few more triple doubles and cementing his, his hall of fame career. My question for you, or my response to that is name a team that wants to be middle of the pack. Pacers. <laughs> Do you think the, the, the Pacers desire to be mediocre will stand the test of time when Victor Wembanyama is on the table I don't know I guess they'd have to like shut down Halliburton somehow I, I I'm such a huge fan of Halliburton I think if he's on a team with I mean you look at some of the lineups and how how good they were like he was playing with some really barely NBA level uh not barely NBA level but but not starting level players fringe, and he was really elevating them so I think as long as he's playing I think it will be hard for them to be in contention for, for Vic or, or Scoot even. Dude, I don't even know why why we have to call this a hot take. For some reason, since the Lakers got Patrick Beverly, it's like like the Lakers are just fine. All Lakers fans are just finding any reason to, you know, have hope. <laughs> even when they make like such just normal offseason moves. Like Patrick Beverly is is what's giving people hope for um you know the lakers championship chances let alone you know westbrook you know turning it around i just it's it's ridiculous that we even have to call this like a a, a hot take yeah I, I i look at i look at so many like instagram comments with lakers fans just you know excited for for this season you know, getting their hopes up about 
Westbrook turning things around. And it, it's, it's just not going to, I mean, e- even, I mean, you mentioned, Jacob, you mentioned um, like Washington. Westbrook already had the worst true shooting percentage of his career with Washington since his, since his like rookie year or his second year in the league. So he was already going down. So it's not that he's regressed, I guess that, although I do think he has actually regressed a tiny bit uh, with the Lakers. It's just that, I mean, the fit is not good again. I mean, I, I don't know how the Lakers thought that that, that, that was going to work. I don't know who was responsible for it. We suspect that LeBron was mostly responsible for making that move. And yeah, I mean, if you're just that stubborn that, and you're going to, you know, say in your press conferences, you know, I'm good. I don't really need to change. I don't expect anything different. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the one thing you're forgetting is that the Lakers with with Pat Bev got two things they really needed, which was one, a little bit of dog, and number two, an aging point guard with no shot creation skills. It's LeBron's favorite yeah. thing in a point guard. No, it's uh, I hate the Lakers. I'm sorry. I mean, I just they're it, so it, annoying, <laughs> and their fans are the most. And their fans are so Westbrook fans are the are the. I we've talked about this. So Westbrook fans are legit the worst fans of all time. Anyway, we're just dogpiling uh, at this point, man. Staying in the West, I don't know if this is really a hot take, but um, I really, really like the Nuggets. Um, obviously, with Jamal Murray and um, and MPJ coming back, uh, there are parts of MPJ's game that that bother me a little. Like he, j- it's it's mostly his shot selection. Like he just takes ridiculous shots sometimes that are not needed when you have guys like Jokic you know and Jamal Murray too that can create like high efficient shots on most possessions uh, without really any problem especially in the regular season I guess you could be picky and say that you know maybe you have some concerns about their defense not really having like an elite rim protector although you know Jokic has, has made strides on that end I'm not expecting anything crazy from DeAndre Jordan backing him up but I think their offense is so good that they can compensate for that. And I, I think I think they're going to finish top three in the West this year. They have, I mean, Bones Highland, I think, is is on a on the track to be a Jamal Crawford type six man. But I think he'll probably end up being more efficient ultimately. That might just be the you know product of how the game is played today. But he is, and and that's not something. That's not something that we were taking into account when they sort of began this this trajectory in the bubble, where they had you know they announced themselves. This is a young team that's here to, you know, to really contend in the coming years. They were derailed, but now they have this additional piece. I mean, I think I'm I'm all the way with you. I love the Nuggets. Forty nine and a half wins is their over under on Caesars. That's one win more than the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, the Heat, and the Timberwolves were all at 48 and a half. On paper, I want to say that I think the Nuggets have a much higher ceiling than all of those teams. But I think that, you know, when it comes to regular season, not that that's, you know, where we're constraining the conversation, but when it comes to regular season wins, I see why their odds are where they are, just because you have to assume that with Murray and Porter coming back from, you know, what would normally be career-threatening injuries, you have to assume that they're going to be cautious with them and they're going to load manage. And we're going to get a lot of Nuggets games that look like last season. And I think that the fact that the Nuggets won 47 games last year, or sorry, 48 games last year is pretty crazy I mean, like if you replace like say you replace Jokic with a like what how how many wins do the Nuggets have if you replace Jokic with a replacement level player like what if you replace him with Nick Claxton how many games do the Nuggets win 10 yeah no 20 15 20 that would be bad like a, a team whose best player is what Will Barton Aaron Gordon like it was bad it was pretty bad last year 
they 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 squeaked out 48 wins. They almost had a 50 win season with their second and third best players being Will Barton and Jeff Green. Like that's almost unthinkable. I think that you know this season, if we can assume relative health for uh, for Porter Jr. and Murray, they can certainly compete for a championship. Assuming those guys get back to 100% by the time the playoffs come around, I'm super optimistic about them. I don't think that they are going to be super worried about the regular season, about, you know, getting to some arbitrary wins total, 55 or 60 wins. But I think they're certainly a threat. I think my question with the Nuggets is still like, what happens if they run into the Golden State Warriors in the playoffs? Do they have any out or is Steph Curry just their kryptonite? I don't think they, I mean, I don't, I personally don't think they would be the Warriors at full strength, but you know, things can happen. I, I don't know. I, I like the top three seed take and I think they have a, as good a shot as anybody other than, you know, the Warriors, the Celtics, the Clippers. Milo, like you said about, you know, Jamal Murray and MPJ, if they can manage their loads, not necessarily by having them sit all together, but, you know, just managing their minutes uh, throughout the season up until the trade deadline, if they can make a move for like another three and D wing, that would be ideal because like Jeff Green, you're, you're not expecting him to, to fill that role. Uh, you look at some of their other guys, I mean, it, you know, Aaron Gordon, besides him they could really use like one more three and d wing that can play off of the big three in the rest of their rotation they don't they don't really have that it doesn't even necessarily need to be a wing it could just be like a you know like a a bigger guard that you know can play defense hit hit threes at a at, at an above average clip and you know you could potentially throw him on you know, some of the other best shot, better shot creators in the, in the West, like, uh, you know, like a Steph, John Morant. And I guess there aren't really a lot of guys that can do that, but I, that would be the ideal thing for this team. I think that they're hoping that KCP is that guy. And I think that they, they think that Bruce Brown on the defensive end can be a guy that can make an impact on the ball and provide maybe a little bit of rim protection, even as a 6'4 kind of wing. And obviously he's the type of player that his cutting ability and his kind of rolling to the rim, his his finishing is going to be optimized by playing with Jokic. Uh, and so I yeah. think that like you can kind of get by with, with Bruce Brown being a below average shooter, even though he flashed a little bit of top of the key three-point shooting last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's their master plan, hoping that KCP, Bruce Brown, maybe maybe even Christian Brown can come in, give them some minutes if someone gets hurt. We talked about him a lot as a draft prospect. I think that he's kind of well-positioned to be a very low-volume 3 and D, you know, hit a couple spot-ups and attack the basket when he gets hard closeouts. Very limited role, but I think he's a guy that, you know, at 21 years old coming into the NBA, he has a good skill set to play off of stars. Right. Yeah. Uncle Jeff doesn't age, man. That guy is like, how old is he at this point? He's 37, I want to say. He's like Chris Paul age. Yeah. And yeah. he still gets up for oops. He still dunks on people. Corner threes, too. Um, which they has it. It, yeah. Like, yeah, I get I, I and I was looking at the roster earlier. I can't believe I didn't mention uh, KCP and Bruce Brown. Like those are, those are really good fits, but I wonder if they could, um, if they could like package those two guys, maybe Christian Brown for like one pretty high level three and D guy, either like a, you know, like a bigger guard or, or a wing. That'd be pretty cool. Since we are talking about the Nuggets already, I have one more take. I think that Jokic has actually a strong narrative case for winning a third MVP. Right now he's plus a thousand for MVP on Vegas Insider. He's tied for fifth with KD. I think he's almost, he's been almost entirely excluded from NBA for MVP conversations just in the NBA media. I, I think it's just the conventional wisdom at this point that it's impossible to win three straight MVPs. The last person who did it was Bird in 86. When you look at guys that won two straight, and when you look at 
the guys that won three straight. I think Kareem did it, maybe. It's always when there's a jump in the team performance. Because once you hit that MVP level, especially once you hit, you know, two straight MVPs, you're not going to get, you know, it. there has to be some improvement somewhere, right? It's either the team gets better or you get better in a, in a tangible statistical way, right? Steve Nash's second MVP, he averaged like three more points, two more assists, even though the team got a little bit worse. I think they were facing some injuries. Amari might've been hurt. The fact that he got tangibly statistically better made it impossible to vote for anyone else because he had already won the MVP the previous year. In 85, Bird won his second MVP in a row, his second straight MVP. The Celtics won 63 games. The next season, they won 67 games. And that Celtics team is still mentioned in conversations about, you know, the greatest team of all time. I'm sorry I, to interrupt. I think that Jokic, I, I think that if the, no Nuggets, if the Nuggets win... I'm not saying that they're going to be an all-time team, but if the Nuggets go from 48 wins to like 55 wins, I think Jokic is in that conversation. If if, if the Nuggets are the one seed, let's say Jokic shoots 40% from three and maintains all of his, you know, his, his, his counting stats, his box score stats, points, rebounds, assists, he still leads the league in, in box plus minus in win shares, all the advanced stats. How do you exclude him from the MVP conversation? Because no, I, I, there's ahead, no Jay. chance. There's no chance. Zero percent chance. I mean, it's Why? because even though the MVP is a regular season award, postseason performance from the previous year plays plays a role. In the case of Bird, I suppose in in '85 they lost to the Lakers in the in the finals, but right. it was the success. It, it was the success the postseason success and the championship pedigree that I think allowed voters to stomach voting for him a, a third time. And I think, I, I just think it's that that's the only way that someone could win three in a row. Now. I, I think it's, it's just not possible for him to be voted for uh, voted three times in a row after having, and certainly not his fault, of course, like the team, a lot of unfortunate events, happen so as to make it impossible for them to get deep into the playoffs as far as I'm concerned. But I think, I, I just think the, that's going to be a, a huge impediment. He'd, he'd literally have to have an unfathomable jump statistically to, to, I think, even be in contention. I think there is a world where he's, because he was already shooting, what, like 37% from three in the bubble year, I think. I don't think he, I think it, it, it was up there um, in the 2021 season, but it kind of dropped toward the end of the year. But I don't see a world where his efficiency jumps up like that and the counting stats stay the same. I do hear the argument about it, which I'm projecting. I mean, I, I'm projecting them to be a top three team in the West. So I have to think they're going to win around 54 games. But it's just such it's going to be it's such an uphill battle for him. They, uh, there was already so much talk in the media about how like Embiid should have won. And like they it just seems like the media just wants somebody else to win. There's so much like pushback against Jokic that I haven't necessarily seen from candidates in the past, like Harden, West. I mean, everybody was just going crazy about Westbrook in 2017. Giannis, it seemed like no like not a lot of people had an issue with uh, with the repeat there. So I think there's just, this is kind of like, kind of unprecedented pushback, like in, in, at least in the last decade of MVP candidates. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jake, but, I, and I do see the argument for the, for the three-peat Milo, but I'm going to have to say that I don't think it's going to happen. I think the championship thing factors in so much. Right, because that's the that's the foremost knock that you can have on Jokic is that he hasn't had sustained playoff success yet. Right, he hasn't he hasn't made it to the finals. I'm not even sure if he's take like you know, and he he's he struggled at least defensively against the Warriors, who are kind of the the gold standard and the team of this generation. And it's like 
in order to ascend to that to that level where you're you're you know you're you're talked about in you know in even casual circles as the best player in the game you have to unseat you know the the player who previously held that title and i think right now that's steph curry and so until jokic wins a championship i'm not sure whether you know it's it's true it might be hard for him to win another mvp for him to get back in that conversation because you have to keep on upping the ante every time i agree what do we think about okay wait i want to i want to go to one more uh western conference team that's getting a lot of buzz right now um the new orleans pelicans how do you guys like because there's i i think the consensus is that you know everybody's really excited about them and um, but how how high can they finish when we're expecting the Timberwolves to get better? We're, we, you know, we obviously just talked about the Nuggets. Um, the, the Mavericks, although they lost Brunson, they did get Christian Wood, which I think is kind of a better fit than Brunson, although they made, the Mavs somehow made it work with Dinwiddie and Brunson in their rotation. So what do you guys think about, about the Pelicans? Do you think that they can be that good offensively and and you know and just be that um kind of explosive and dynamic of an offense that they can get to you know maybe a seven like you know like a six or five seed what do you guys think about that i was thinking about that when i when i was trying to come up with hot takes because i love zion so much i don't know i feel like the thing that that really holds them back is that zion can't be the anchor of the defense Zion can't be the can't play the five. Well, he can play the five, but he cannot play the five in, in on both sides of the floor in the way that you would like. Like, you know, I'm just watching Valanchunas and Zion out there. I'm, I'm looking at some of the spacing stuff. Sure, I'm sure their offense will be great, but I'm looking at some of the spacing stuff, and it's just like, just sucks that that Zion has that that flaw in his game, but. I mean, he's just going to have an absurd season if he stays healthy. But no, I don't. I don't. I don't put them in that in that uh, top tier or anywhere near it. I think. I think uh, the Timber. I, I like the Gobert acquisition, so I think the the Timberwolves and the Pelicans will. Uh, I sort of waver back and forth who I think will will have more success this year, but I'm not really taking them seriously as a as a contender. I love the Pelicans, man. I think they're going to be really, really fun to watch this year. Obviously, they have three uh, high-level scorers. I think their offense is going to be top 10 for sure, but maybe top eight, top seven. They could have a really strong offense this year if Zion stays healthy. I have a lot of love for Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado. Shout out to Jose Alvarado. He had like 30 last night. Um, he's he's, he's going to be a... He's a good offensive player, I think. I, like, I, he's he's a, a good two-way player. Yeah. He's tough, man. Yeah. I just don't see any path for them to become a high-level defense this year. There's just no – like, unless they make some kind of a move at the deadline, if you have Valanchunas at center, Zion power forward, and you have C.J. McCollum at shooting guard, and all three of those guys are playing 30 plus minutes a game, you're not going to have a good defense. It's just as simple yeah. as that. Whatever happened to Jackson Hayes development? I, it just seems like he could have ascended into like, I don't know. It just seems like a guy like Nick, you'd rather have a guy like Nick Claxton these days, to be honest, providing like the little more value as a rim protector and kind yeah. of, you know I, what I mean? I think Jackson Hayes, like you, you look, he's the type of guy you look at him. He has like the physical profile of a Tyson Chandler, but none of the defensive instincts. He's a great rim runner. He's a good rebounder. Right. He's not an elite shot blocker. And it's not like, yeah. it's, it's hard for me to see him getting there too. What do you think is the, what do you guys think is like the ideal roster construction, maybe the ideal like second star and basic roster construction around Zion Williamson is it similar to what you see on Milwaukee with Giannis it's a little different because Zion doesn't have the defensive versatility of Giannis he's not the help defender that Giannis is but do you want to put him around a floor spacing shot blocking center like a Brooke Lopez 
I'm thinking Victor Wembenyama. <laughs> that's that would the answer. Be an insane fit. That's the answer to. Actually, now that I think about it, you could have asked like any player who's the best fit around them, and I and Victor Wembenyama is probably the best answer, unless we're talking about like Carl Anthony Towns, maybe like maybe someone who has like some similar attributes, but. I, I, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think Giannis is a good comparison. I, the one thing about Giannis is uh, is I, I think you do maybe need another big on the floor with with Zion, and it needs to be some. It needs to be a stretch big who also protects the rim. So, yeah, which you're hard to find. I, I think it's like it's tough to like to build that ideal like because you need like he needs some supplementation on both sides because he's neither the sh- you know. He's either a spacer, nor is he, you know, a paint protector. And so you need a big that can be additive in both of those areas. And that's that's relatively rare thing to find in a in a player. That's why the players like that are so coveted. Um, so I think yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a challenge, but it's worth it if you can if you can make it work, as we've seen with Milwaukee. I think Jaron Jackson Jr. would be a great I- fit. I was just going to say him, yeah. He was, like, the first person I thought of. Isn't Jaron Jackson kind of, like, the hypothetical stretch five, though? Like, because we haven't really seen it pan out in terms of the shooting. Or it regressed significantly this year. And, like, the I think his offensive tendencies are a little bit, are, like, are still need to be reined in a little bit. There's a lot of fat that can be cut out of his approach. To scoring because he's not he's because he's neither a great shooter nor is he a playmaker but he puts the ball on the floor a lot he takes some tough shots so i think that like what's his what's his uh his like injury prognosis by the way like is he out for a couple months because that i think that is going to be huge for the for the grizzlies so I just checked uh, the latest report on him. Actually, he did have surgery. I think they're happy about the progress he's made. He's been practicing. No contact still, full court running. Right now, the, the timetable I'm reading here is four to six months. So we're looking at like January. But yeah, that is true about the shooting, actually. I didn't really, like, we looked at that earlier, Milo. I was really surprised that he has not been shooting the ball efficiently at all um, from three. Because he did, like, his second year, he was a sniper. Like, the, the bubble mm-hmm. year, he was, he was like, 39.5% on six and a half attempts. So, high volume, high efficiency, and then... And they're tough shots. Yeah, and then that's his age 20 season. To see it regress down to 20 you know, d- down to like 30%, basically, over the past two seasons. Okay. I think that, so attributed I think, to his rhythm being disrupted by right. injuries, yeah. But no. But he, played, not, he played 80 games great. last season. He did play, yeah. All right, um, let's, let's move on, though. What's your next uh, – let's let's go to Jake. I have yeah. a couple – I, I want to just touch on – I think it's a, a decent segue uh, into – this this is a relatively minor hot take. I don't I don't know if we can call it hot because I don't think anyone really cares about it. But I think Miles Turner will be traded, and I think Isaiah Jackson will emerge as a starting quality big because I I think he is a really good rim protector, hyper athletic, efficient float game, and he shot like thirty two percent for something like that from three, and it looked decent. So I think he's the sort of player who you'd want to see besides Zion. Anyways, that's just a, a side one. I, I do want to give a, a take that sort of makes me sick to sick to my stomach, uh, which is I think we're going to see a big-time Knicks resurgence this year. Um, as someone who hates New York, it's difficult for me to say, even in that, that fluky Julius Randle year, the thing that was so noticeable about them is they were just taking super tough shots. Like they really just could not make things easy for themselves. And I believe that Jalen Brunson is worth every penny, not because just because he's a really good tough shot maker, but also because he greases the wheels. He gets by his man, he gets into the paint. 
he creates advantages for himself and others. And I think particularly in this context with this team, he is he he's really worth it. The other thing is I think Obi Toppin's a really good player. He's hyper athletic. I've watched some of his preseason stuff. He sh- shot looks even better. I think he's going to be a really efficient three point shooter. Now we just have to uh, ship off Julius Randall. Maybe we can trade him to the Adelaide 36ers for like the two Stockton brothers and a 30 pack of the Nova Vax or something like that. But no, I think, I think uh, the Knicks are going to have a, a really good year and are going to exceed expectations. I love Brunson. And I think, uh, think Danny's right about perhaps Christian Wood being a better fit for the Mavericks. But in this context, I think this is a really underrated acquisition. Where do you stand on the development curves of some of the Knicks? Young Cam guys? Reddish. Cam Reddish, RJ Barrett. I uh, think I'm, I've sort of decided quickly. I don't buy the RJ Barrett as like any sort of initiator at this point. I think he's, yeah, uh, had an opportunity to show that he's, you know, can finish and, and create, and it's just not, it's just not going to happen. That's fine. But I do think he did. He showed some really good shooting flashes uh, over the last couple of years. And I think with, with those advantages that Brunson will create for him, he'll probably have his most efficient offensive season. And I think if Reddish can, can buy in and play a similar, a similar role and, and spot up and, and figure out how to, be a, a role player uh, he has all the tools the thing that i struggle with is the way that certain players roles are going to have to change in order for them to be an efficient offensive team because y- you have rj barrett in his age 21 season playing almost a heliocentric role where he had very high usage right he put up numbers he Average 20 points per game. He struck he struggled mightily to finish and to, you know, to get all the way to the rim and to create for teammates. He was not a good playmaker. He was not efficient from from two-point range. He's not a good, we know that he's not an efficient mid-range shot creator. What does the actualized version of RJ Barrett look like? Like what what is there a comparison? Like what does what is his role in the ideal scenario for him because it's it's not as a number one option as we know it I'm not even sure if it's as a number two option but it seems like with the combination of size uh ball handling and the um the burgeoning shooting ability he can be a valuable offensive player I just don't know what it looks like Danny what do you think that's a good question Milo I'm I'm racking my my brain for for comps. Yeah, I, the first one that popped into my head is Tyreek Evans. Rookie Tyreek Evans. Yeah, but I mean, you could probably say a lot of the same things about Tyreek. Physical similarities where, are, are really there, and yeah, yeah, but I think Tyreek. But how can you? A little bit more. Of, you, more of a point guard, right? Right. But also, how can you fit Tyreek Evans into a situation where he doesn't have to be the first option? Because you're not expecting to contend if he is. Um, and I don't think I don't. The Knicks aren't expecting to make that jump either, right? They're just they're just looking to make a a, a step in the in the right direction. But I don't know. RJ's not good in he's not good in pick and roll. I'm I'm trying to think about how he would be best used strategically. He's not someone that you're going to run off a lot of pin downs, back screens, flare screens, right? It, the the three-point shooting getting better is promising, right? Because if if he can play off the ball in the, in the corners and use his ball handling to attack closeouts and shoot out of the corners, um, but then also be able to, you know, pitch it to a big and go into a handoff or something if they if they want to sprinkle that in they don't necessarily want to go through Brunson or if something breaks down I think that's the direction that you want to go in strategically 
you'd have him be in more of a tertiary, like a secondary tertiary role offensively. Um, but is he, is he really that like strong defensively? I don't know. I have, to be honest, I haven't watched a ton of his defense. Obviously he has the physical tools. I do, you know, it, I remember him being a, a, you know, a solid on ball defender at Duke, obviously, but what do you guys think about his defense and what do you think about that? You know, that assessment of how he can be used strategically on offense. I think there's just certain, I don't know about his defense. Well, I, maybe you can comment on that, Jacob, but I, I think that in order for him to actualize himself offensively, he needs to add more counters to his in-between game. And I think that you want to use him based on his physical profile and the fact that we've seen the improvements from his three-point shooting. Um, and obviously he's a good ball handler. I think you want to use him off of, you know, not not like not like JJ Reddick style floppy like actions, but you want to get him going downhill off of screens the way so, sort of similar to the way that the the, the Celtics um, run plays for Jalen Brown. Um, just get him curling off of screens where he can make very simple kind of compartmentalized like option a option b simple decision making right you don't want like this high level advanced pick and roll reads you don't you don't want to give him a ton of that you want to take the ball out of his hands more give him an advantage allow him you know to attack you know uh, a big in a two-on-one situation and either you know make the dump off pass or or try and finish with his physicality and I think that that's the way that you um the way that you you kind of utilize him and then you hope that he can improve to where he's more of a threat um as a spot-up shooter and he can just do more more one-on-one isolation shot making yeah totally you got to start somewhere I think with the with improving the decision making and so, yeah, like Jake, like you alluded to, Jake, I think Brunson is adding Brunson is both, I mean, a good, a good thing for the team, but also RJ's development in terms of getting him better as a decision maker. You kind of have to simplify things and adding Brunson uh, uh, kind of allows for that. So um, good points, both of you. What do we think about the Hawks? If I had to kind of pick a team that I, I think would be the biggest riser in the East, I think it would be them. Over I the Cavs? Going... Oh, no, no. Actually, no, no, no. Less than the Cavs. The Cavs, the Cavs will be the be- biggest riser in the East, but I think, like, I think the Hawks are kind of like the biggest sleeper team in a sense, um, where they'll be a big riser. I think since they, you know, between when the Hawks actually made the move for DeJounte and you know, since the preseason has started, there wasn't a lot of talk around them, even though, I mean, they made the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago, or was it two years ago or three years ago? Two years ago. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of DeAndre Hunter. From, like, when we did our draft pod um, and when the draft happened, like, my, um, my thoughts on A.J. Griffin kind of, like, I just didn't think this highly of him. He's, he's not as versatile as, as I thought early on. I think he'll have more of a specialized role, but I think it's, I think it's a good fit with the Hawks and just, you know, needing shooting to complement Trey Young at this point um, and DeJounte, because they're going to, you know, they're going to be one of the higher pick and roll usage teams in the league. And I, I, I I do like the fit um, with DeJounte as well. He adds much needed, uh, defense at the point of attack. They still obviously have Capella protecting the rim. I think John Collins is, he's not, you know, he's not the most mobile power forward that you could have, but I, I think he's mobile enough. And then, like I said, I'm really, really high on DeAndre Hunter. I think people kind of forgot about him. Was really good. Once he came back in the playoffs against the Heat, had, had a few really, really solid performances. Actually looked like one of their I would say top 
two to three scores, to be honest. Um, put up like a 30, 37, 36 point game, um, averaged in the low twenties for the series. Um, so I'm really excited for him. Apparently he's got, you know, his ball handling has gotten better. So I am, I am excited for the Hawks. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Honestly, I, I don't like the fact that John Collins is still on their team. I thought they would try to optimize things a little bit more. I like Murray as a player. I think it's a good, a good pickup. Although a lot of the stuff that Murray does it's going to be, I mean, the, the thing with Trey Young, the question we've had about Trey Young now for a really long time is sort of this, this conflict where we're like, why is he so ball dominant? They probably can't win if he's so ball dominant, but he's also a player whose value is reduced if he, if he's any less ball dominant, right? Like it's not, I mean, ideally he could figure out how to like navigate screens like curry and be a really productive off-ball player but he hasn't shown it so i'm i'm concerned that they will not i mean murray's a really good player so i think that's that's a plus but i'm not sure that they will really optimize each other as much as as we might hope so i'm not tremendously high on them um i I don't think we'll we'll see more than than just minor improvement but he showed it a little bit at Oklahoma. And I think that, you know, it's sort of similar to the, um, the Devin Booker thing when, when Chris Paul joined the Suns. And it's sort, of a, a, it's sort of a thing where, like, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe that this high volume, high usage, good stats, bad team guy can find a way to be effective playing off the ball and share the ball handling duties and the, the playmaking creation duties with another high volume offensive player. And I think that like on paper, the Hawks make sense. Like even the John Collins thing, I don't think that he's a bad, like on paper offensive fit with Trey young and, and with, with DeJounte Murray, I think that, that they have mm-hmm. that, that most of the problems with the Hawks come down to like emotional intelligence. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a matter of egos and managing expectations and committing to roles and figuring out how to maximize their chemistry, because I think the talent is there and they're an offensive juggernaut, but can they get there in terms of the offensive synergies against, you know, against higher level scaling that against higher level defenses in the playoffs and then can they at least be a middle of the pack defensive team? They have some rim protection. They have some perimeter defense, but they have a lot of weak links too. They're an interesting team. Meanwhile, Trey Young just put up 31 points in the first half of their preseason game against the Bucks. So it's the thing you can, that's I've encountered all the time as someone who shits on Trey Young. I mean, he's just an incredible basketball player. He, there are certain things that he does that I think he does better than anybody else in the league. He is such an incredible ball handler. His float, I mean, his float, he, he's, he's just an, such an impressive player, um, which honestly makes me sort of, that's sort of the reason why I question things a lot because it's, it's you know, he's such a, he has unlimited talent. So why can't we harness it into something that's just a little bit more conducive to consistent winning? Yeah, I think it's entirely up to him on how he, just where he decides to place an emphasis on incrementally improving his game and where he kind of devotes his, where he allocates his resources to energetically and cognitively, right? If he decides, yeah, I'm really going to focus on becoming this, this off-ball frenetic just running off screens constant motion Steph Curry Steph Curry style player then I think it can work I mean he's in he's an elite level shooter he's a very very good decision maker I think he's a a very fast decision maker and he can he can negotiate that in terms of you know catching the ball and quickly attacking shooting or you know making the extra pass I think that if he decides to commit to that off ball role, maybe it can bode well 
for his, you know, his ability to kind of focus on defense, because I don't even know whether like, at the, like, obviously he's not going to be a plus defender, but for Trey Young, I think it's just cutting out like lapses in attention and just moments where he's completely zoned out and making mistakes off the ball. So I think that if he can cut down on some of those, like this team can be really good. They have a ton of talent. So I think they're one of the most interesting stories to watch this season. Yeah. I just think DeJounte's defense, I think DeJounte's effort level, you know, we're talking about like Trey's uh, defensive contributions and how he'll be able to succeed playing off the ball uh, on defense, of course, because they probably won't put him on the you know opposing team's best ball handler. Um, I think DeJounte's effort level, um, like I said, DeAndre Hunter coming back, being a very high-energy defender. Um, I, I, I just love DeAndre Hunter overall, but especially his defense. I think it'll rub off on Trey a little bit to, to the point, you know, because – He's clearly the worst defensive player in the lineup. It's, you know, it's being exposed, I think, now more than ever before. So he has to kind of figure out a way to not expose the the unit as a whole and, you know, kind of at least uh, hold his own from like an effort standpoint. So I, I think DeJounte will, will rub off on him a little bit. And um, I, I just think, I, I, I just can't bet against the amount of talent that he has offensively. Um, and I think he's, he's capable of carrying this team to around a six seed finish. I think, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished better than the Nets again. Like, I mean, they didn't, they didn't finish better than the Nets last year, but the Nets were the seven seed. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they finish ahead of them. Uh, that Do that we... actually brings me to my next take. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think the Nets are going to finish in the top four. And I, let me start this out by, let me just preface this by saying, I think that we in the NBA community suffer from a unique cognitive bias. I'm going to call it on paper bias or, or, at full strength bias because everyone is evaluating this Nets team as if all three of KD, Kyrie, and Ben are going to be healthy and in peak form all season. And, and Joe Harris too. Let's, let's throw him in there because he was out the entirety of last season. What reason do we have to be confident about that at this point? KD has played in 90 out of a possible 154 regular season games since returning from his Achilles tear. He's missed 42% of his regular season games. Like Kyrie has not played 70 games since what, 2017? And Ben missed the entirety of last season with mysterious mental health and attendant physical like ailments that, you know, are still shrouded, you know, shrouded in a haze of uncertainty. And it seems as though this team just has more uncertainty and more like possible ways to fail than any other team in the league. They just have so many likely catastrophic scenarios, right? I mean, Kyrie drops off the face of the earth again. You know, KD suffers even a minor injury. That team cannot stay afloat without KD. And I don't think that Ben Simmons, I don't think we can expect Ben Simmons to be first team all defense after missing an entire season. They haven't looked good in preseason. KD is already expressing like frustration with the way that they're playing. I think they have a point differential of negative 24 in the preseason. Their offense, again, does has no fluidity to it. They're getting scored on easily by the Miami Heat, who are not a good offensive team and they're gonna have two non-shooters in the starting line like yeah i've also noticed the um the preseason performance but yeah they're i mean simmons and you, you don't want to not start claxton he's been he's been good in in his role and they don't really have a better alternative for somebody that can that can kind of play at center unless they want to try simmons at the five I think that's a situation that we could see later in the year if they are struggling early on. 
which it's looking like they might, even with the team at full strength, they're going to have to experiment a little bit maybe and, and throw Simmons at the five. And, you know, maybe you put Royce O'Neal in the lineup. But I, I'm again, yeah, I'm, I, I totally agree with you, Milo. I'm not high on the Nets. The, the risks are not baked into the overall prediction of how they're going to perform throughout the whole year. Yeah, and especially when you look at the other top-end talent in the Eastern Conference uh, between Milwaukee, Boston, yeah, right. Philly, and then, like, t- you know, take your pick, Cleveland, Atlanta. Cleveland. Cleveland yeah. all the way. I mean, there's just – there's Miami, Toronto. Like, there's a lot of – teams that are going to be in that you know in that mid-tier playoff conversation and I don't think that unless the Nets just miraculously stay completely healthy which is at this point it will be a statistical outlier I think it's unlikely that they you know that they finish in the top four yeah it's like people are banking on an anomaly and you know it might not even be a matter of staying healthy necessarily Kyrie is going to probably pull his shenanigans again and miss like half the year for who knows what reason it's kind of, it's just a mess kind of and i'm so high on the i'm happy i'm so high on the Cavs. i love them do we re- like the jazz were had the third best net rating in the league last year actually and it's funny because donovan actually had i think a negative i was looking at cleaning the glass and i think he i think his on off was like negative one or so which is weird it hasn't been that way in years prior and I don't know how else they would have made the difference I mean like their defense the players that they had besides Rudy defensively were atrocious but I am so high on the Cavs I I think they can make up for obviously DG and Donovan's weaknesses as defenders with just crazy rim protection they can just run people off the three-point line um, being quick enough and just funnel funnel people to to Jarrett and and Mobley um, and I think Mobley and we've already talked about you know Mobley and how we, how excited we are for him and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that he's in the defensive player of the year conversation that he you know he could be an all-star, maybe probably not an all-star this year, but I think he could be an all-star as soon as next year. I mean, I'm just so I'm really high on the Cavs. They could they could trade Levert potentially to get. Well, I don't know actually. We so we, Milo, you and I have talked about Levert in the past and how there is a situation where he's not the best fit, but I could see him still providing a spark off the bench they may still need a tiny bit more like self-creation just because there was so much of a burden on on Darius right and so Donovan may not although he's extremely high usage and I think obviously they stagger I think they stagger Garland and and Mitchell to an extent uh, you know in a yeah. similar way to like I think the analogy is like the 20 the 2019 Rockets you know the the 2018-19 Rockets, um, you have Paul and and Harden. Just the two offensive engines are your backcourt guys, and you and you stagger them because you don't need to like to some extent there is redundancy. And I'm not sure how much extra, like I think you need one other guy that can get his own shot in a pinch, but I I, I don't I don't know whether Lavert is efficient in that role. I, I mean, actually, I think that they might look into trading for Eric Gordon since the Rockets are going to try and bottom out too. But yeah. what do you, where do you stand on the, the nets, the Cavs, and the, the, the rest of the field, Jake? I was sort of lost in thought as we were talking about the nets, because I think it's, it's really rough for KD that he, whatever happened that he, that he's staying on this team for a third year, because I, and with you that I, I don't think things are going to go according to plan here. I don't think that they are, I, I, I'm anticipating like an early playoff exit. And that's just really remarkable. Like three years in his prime, the first of which was 
you know, they're pretty close to, to a championship, probably somewhat close to a championship. Second years are and second and third year, uh, really disappointing, potentially in the prime of his career. Like that's just, it's so damning for him from a legacy standpoint. And I, I and not that he can be blamed for Kyrie being a, a freaking lunatic, but like we're splitting hairs here when we get to the level of player that KD is and, and we're t- talking about like the top 20 players of all time. And just to really lose three years that could have he could have been using to, to build his argument is just so, so consequential. This is nothing like some like late career disappointments that we've seen in the past with those all-time players. This is in his prime, three throwaway years. And, uh, and it, I can't help but feel like he did it to himself by, and, and by sticking, sticking by Kyrie. It's just, you have to be some, so you have to have like a, he, he, he's either really, really dumb or he just doesn't give a fuck. And I don't think he doesn't give a fuck. Um, he just loves the pain. Yeah. So, a, a I mean, like, if I were to tell, tell you five years ago that both LeBron and KD would still be in their statistical primes or like asymptotic to their statistical primes in 2022, and both were playing on teams doomed to be first round exits like that's just it's 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 a depressing thought it's it like it's it's just unfortunate that that like that despite the longevity that both of these all-time level players um generational talents um have had in their careers it's it's wasted on teams that have no hope of winning a championship the the thing with lebron though is like even though he made his uh, even though he could be using these years to like make up the the, the to, to close the gap on the on the you know the traits that jordan has an advantage in um you know his body of work as far as i'm concerned it could be complete today and and it's uh he's he's sort of made the most of it in a lot of ways i wish i mean i i would love for him to win another one um yeah i i'm a lebron fan but i think uh yeah, I think this KD thing is really interesting. It's uh, for the Cavs. I I love the Mitchell acquisition. I think he's such a good offensive player. I, I think the staggering idea is is right on the money. There, we're talking about you know how can we get that you know that third creator? And even though we don't see a lot of it with bigs, what if Mobley takes like a huge stride? Like what if I don't know? I think I think he's the sort of I think he can face up and drive. And I, I think we've, yeah, I, he was a, I mean, he was fairly polished on that end as a rookie. Like, I think there's very little reason to believe that he won't make, make a stride in that area and he can shoot. Like I, I really, uh, maybe, maybe that becomes a problem where it's like, maybe Mobley isn't getting enough touches with these two guys always having the balls, the ball in their hands, but no, Karis Lever, not, not a big fan of him as a player. Um, Eric Gordon would yeah. be a nice pickup, but I, I think we should be looking to Mobley to fill in that gap. Yeah, it goes from from why is Donovan Mitchell not passing it to Rudy Gobert to why is Donovan Mitchell not feeding the ball to Evan Mobley <laughs> <laughs> on every possession. Um, I think Mobley <laughs> flashed like in some some really really promising low post face up shot creation. He has a really high release. He gets good lift and elevation on his jump. It is an unblockable jump shot. And he can get it off with turnarounds, you know, little one dribble pull-ups. I think he has that, like, that KG style, like, versatility to his jump shot. And he can hit long twos. Hopefully, he extends it out to the three-point line this season. That would make them ridiculously deadly. And, yeah, I think that, like, with his passing instincts, he can be – I think he – he can be like a you know a a twenty and five guy like he he can be a guy that averages you know a four or five assists per game. He has really good um, vision and ball handling for a player his size and and with his with his skill and he, you know with the high low actions with Jarrett Allen, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to feed to feed Allen, who's you know an an elite level 
lob threat. And I just love the the schematic diversity of the thing, you know, the, all the different ways that you can that you can pick apart defenses with the talent that they have on their roster. And I think that they they actually do have a decent amount of of peripheral. Sh- I think they have they have actually a lot of shooting around around these guys at this point between between Kevin Love, Dean Wade, even you know obviously Mitchell. I think Okoro has improved his shooting. Osman is a very good shooter. I think they they have good complementary pieces and maybe the best like big four in the league right now i want to say hot take yeah it is i want to shift gears quickly because i'm about to i'm actually about to go leave for my flight i'm going to uh oklahoma city for my yearly jeremiah robinson earl reconnaissance mission um i like him by the way uh but i i wanted to publicly lock in my my championship pick so i so i have to stand by it can i give it go for it yeah so it's nothing nothing extreme i i really think the bucks are going to win it i mean i i think uh they would have won it last year if not for the middleton injury i i do not expect middleton to be out for the playoffs again so i think the bucks are going to win it they're the best team in basketball they have the best player in basketball that's typically a good combination I think they're the safest pick at this point. I'm yeah. the most comfortable with because, you know, any way you square it, like Middleton in, Bucks win. I, it's very hard for me to imagine the Celtics pulling out that series if he hadn't gotten hurt. I think that like they've reached a point. They're like a well-oiled machine on both ends. They just understand like how to get the absolute extract like the most. V- just juice out of Giannis's gravity and and Giannis's transcendent defensive impact I don't really understand why the Clippers have I like the Clippers perhaps would be willing to say that they will win win the West but I don't really understand why the Clippers have better championship odds on some on some sites I think like BetMGM Mm -hmm. has the Clippers above them because I don't see how the Clippers would beat the Bucks in a seven-game series. I, I, I just don't see that happening. I think the Clippers have to work too hard to score. Like, they, they, they don't have – I think the Clippers will be a great defensive team. Obviously, they have two of the best wing players in the league to, like, approximately MVP-level players. I'm not buying into the John Wall resurgence. <laughs> Uh, no, not, negative. That they, not that they need John Wall, you know, to be 2017 John Wall, but I, I don't see it. I, I, I don't see that. And I think that, that, that they need, well, maybe, they, maybe they don't need, but it would be nice to have someone to kind of set the table for their offense and wall. I don't see the penetration or shooting there. So I think it's going to be just a, a ton of isolation offensively. And I think that's pretty physically taxing on two players in Kawhi and PG that have not been the most durable over the past couple of years. So what are you willing to put on the line if John Wall makes an all-star team this year? <laughs> Is it an Andrew Wiggins all-star team appearance? No, the, the period. It doesn't matter. I mean, Is it a Yao Ming all-star game? It's just, he is, he is, playing in that game or he's uh, replaced in that game because he tears both of his knees and the practice before it but what are what are the uh, what will you do if he makes an all-star team i think it's it's like it what is it it's a hundred to one odds. Something like that. This isn't a monetary thing. This needs to be a stunt of some kind. What will, like, I mean, what, what would you do? I'll give you a dollar if he doesn't. And if, if he does make an all-star team, you need to buy a John Wall rookie jersey. You need to take a video of yourself. I think a John Wall Dougie and the John Wall to the John Wall song. And you need to 
post it on all of your social medias. I would do that anyways. <laughs> That's okay, a small price enough. to pay. <laughs> and we'll put it on Chain Reactions YouTube YouTube channel. Exactly. All right. Do we have anything else that we want to to hit on? Sam Hauser, most improved player oh. and MVP. I'm kidding. He's I gonna think, have a good season. I think I think he's gonna play. He's gonna have a good season. But no, I don't think. I obviously don't think it's going to be uh, something that anyone besides Celtics fans really care about. <laughs> over over under ten points per game for Sam Hauser. <laughs> Are we doing a Sam Hauser points per game and John Wall All Star game parlay? <laughs> uh, under, just barely. Yeah, I think he'll he'll come in and hit a hit a couple threes, and he'll be, you know, a welcome off ball shooting addition to our team. Something we something you know the Celtics really didn't have last year, um, and I think Malcolm Brogdon will unlock some of that and make the just grease the wheels a little bit on the offense, similar similar to how you were talking about Jalen Brunson, and I think Brogdon is is even more of like a pass first guy that understands how to you know, how to really create for his teammates off of the gravity of other stars. Sammy Hauser, the most consequential take of the, of the afternoon. All right, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Thanks for so coming. Much. All right. Appreciate take care. You, man.